Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez, and it's spring training. Pitchers and catchers have been going on for the last couple of days. We get the first full squad workout on Tuesday, and it's just the latest final step to baseball being back. Andre, where's your excitement level at right now, man? I, my excitement level is great. And on an off note, the, uh, the fact that a certain team traveled up the road and became the number one ranked college baseball team in the country had to, had to, had to remind you there, uh, Mr. Gator, something interesting happened up in Gainesville this weekend before we get into pro baseball. Yeah, something did happen. Those UM Canes went up, took two or three against the Gators. But also, it's the first time since, I think I have to go back to, I think, it, what was it, 2014 was the last time that UM won a series against, been, against the Gators? Uh, it's been a very long time, yeah. But, you know, the, when you're the top dog and the Gators have been for a long time, you know, it's, there's always a bullseye. And the, the Canes have been shooting and missing for years now. And they finally got one. It's early. It doesn't matter who's number one now. It, it matters later in Omaha. But it was good to see that that series is competitive again. No, seriously, yeah, like you said, it's three of 56, but I'm really happy. I like what I've been seeing from Gino Damari since he took over for Jim Morris, and he's really got a really good grip on that on that program, and it's exciting to, exciting to see what they can do. But, again, yeah. I'm expecting the Gators to bounce back once things go on. But on that note – the let's pro just, team, let's go. Major League Baseball now. We've got Major League Baseball. We've got spring training. We've gone through – what is it? Five days now, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, six days. I had to actually count there. <laughs> yeah, so we, I don't even know anymore. We're probably at the point where, like, you ask Don Mattingly, he doesn't know what day of the week it is anymore. I already did. I told him on Sunday. I was like, good morning, Donnie. Happy Sunday. He went, it's Sunday? Really? Already? Exactly. But all, For a manager, it must be a real blur. Every year, the same routine, and you just, you just get lost in the days. Yeah, but here we are. The first full squad workout will be is on Tuesday. As a quick programming disclaimer here, Andre and I are recording this Monday afternoon before we actually get up to Jupiter, before we get to see everything in person. But we still have a lot to talk about after what we've seen, or what, at least what we've heard through these first six days. We've gotten to talk with just about everybody from that new revamp bullpen. We've talked with the bulk of the guys who are going to be in the rotation. We got a lot of really good insight from Jorge Alfaro about his progress. Just, Dre, just as we get going and – Full squad starts up and spring games start up this weekend. Just what's your overall assessment of the atmosphere around this team and just the mood as things get started up? I mean, I think it's a, it's, it's, it's a mood where I think they're excited to see how much of an effect last year had on this team, because as we know, you know, no one, obviously no one expected them to do what they did. And, you know, you can debate the validity of it with the short season, but like Don said, the, the, the impact of having a playoff season, especially for the younger players, you know, for the core guys that are coming back that have been there a while, just to taste that was big. I mean, you know, that that's going to help whether this team gets back or not, or if it's just a, a progression year of development and so on and so forth. So I think there's a little bit of that also with, you know, the curiosity of, you know, this is kind of where we still were last year. We wanted to know how good some of these prospects are going to be. The pandemic didn't let didn't allow for that really to get a good, really good look. I think we're excited to see a lot of guys, how they're going to go up against other competition, not, you know, so much of this, you know, intra squad and facing the same hitters over and over. I think guys are itching to get out there and, and face other teams and really test themselves. And I think even from an evaluation standpoint, you want to start to finally see some of those steps taken over the next few weeks. And a lot of the players themselves have mentioned that and also noted that, 
yes, what we did last year was great, but 2021 is a new year. When we got Dan Castano on Monday and just asking him just the whirlwind of the season for him, which let's face it, if the COVID situation didn't happen last year, we probably would not have seen Daniel Castano in the big leagues in 2020. But instead, he got seven games, he got six starts, and showed that he could be a contender for a swingman-type role. And when I asked him about it, his response was, well, when I came into camp, I went to Donnie and went, hey, congratulations on the Manager of the Year award. And Donnie Flyle told him, well, that was last year, this is this year. And right. they're trying to keep that switch flip. Yes, they're understanding and grateful for the playoff run. They know that that's not to be taken lightly, but they also know that they need to follow it up. They need to show that, like you said, it has, what they can do over 162, what this starting rotation, what the group of Sandy and Sixto and Eliezer and Pablo and whoever ends up winning that fifth spot and what this new bullpen and, frankly, what the offense will be able to show and be able to take that next step as they go from 60 games to 162. And there are a lot of questions, especially when we look at the NL East and we've harped on it, I think, every week for going on got to be four or five, six weeks now about just how tough this division is and how it's going to be a real litmus test for just how far this team has come as we get into year four of the rebuild. And, and Castano, Mr. Mr. Underdog, Mr. Afterthought in the trade, Mr. I've never been a prospect. I'm the oldest guy in the room and all that. Guess what? He, I got, obviously he hasn't seen his baseball America handbook yet. <laughs> and now he is a prospect ranked in the Marlins system, at least with those guys. Not that, <laughs> not that I had anything to do with that, but no, um, but in all seriousness, yeah, he is one of several that has to take the next step. Another guy that I haven't heard mentioned too much yet is uh, Trevor Rogers, who really took a big leap last year, jumped into the rotation for a little while, probably would have still been in the mix had the Marlins gone a little further, you know, for to make a potential playoff start, you know, and he's another one. You want to see the jump he's, he has on Monday. We talked to Nick Neidert, you know, with his flowing hair and, and, and not getting a haircut and all that thing. But he's going to have a new look, and he's and it's and it's a really another chance for him to finally, you know, really settle in. We know he made a debut, but really not like a real solid debut in the majors because of what happened with COVID. But this is his chance to finally jump in, and and he's been a guy that's been mentioned for two years now as a potential rotation piece. So again, a lot of a lot of guys that need to build off, you know, last season and and really make up for lost time. And it's going to be exciting to see how that process shakes out, and a lot of decisions to be made. You hate when it's I remember a few camps ago when it was like the 25 man roster was pretty much set. All we were waiting on was, you know, the very last spot. And that was it. No, no, that, that's a boring camp. I like these kind of camps where there's a lot of intrigue, a lot of, you know, who's going to get this spot, that spot. And I think we're going to see a lot of that as the weeks go by. And then there is one spot when it comes to that rotation battle that sort of helps sort itself out. Unfortunately, from this front with Edward Cabrera, Donnie announced over the yeah. weekend that, uh, that Cabrera is going to be out indefinitely. He had, I believe the exact phrase was nerve inflammation in his right bicep. That's his throwing hand. That's throwing arm. And it's just, it's unfortunate. Cause I mean, this is the second year in a row during last season when he was at the alternate training site, he had a minor shoulder issue that aggravated him. They eased him back in slowly to the point where he didn't make his debut, even though he was part of the taxi squad during the playoff run. But this was supposed to be a year where we really get to see what Edward Cabrera brings to the table. And we know that, his stuff is potentially going to be able to rival six those and the opportunity to potentially see the two of them on top of Sandy at the top end of the rotation was something that a lot of fans and a lot of people. And I'll be honest, I, me specifically was hoping to see at some point this year, 
And now it's looking like we're having another setback on that front. Yeah, it, to me, it's the most frustrating thing they, so far. And hopefully there's not a lot of these uh, to follow. But when you look at Edward, yeah, it's like we're he's another guy that just we're finally like, when are we finally going to be able to, to see this guy out there? I mean, you know, is you look at a guy who can throw a fastball pretty much just like six, though, has very similar makeup in that sense. But I mean, even has a second pitch, that changeup is pretty devastating, has a good curveball. I mean, his secondary stuff might be some would argue might be even better than what Sixto has right now. But yet again, Sixto's the one that's been able to stay healthy, go out there and show it. And we're still waiting on Edward, unfortunately. First he has the, you know, he burns his elbow with the, with the thing a couple of years ago, then he has the other injury. So again, yet another setback. It's like, when are we finally going to be able to get him on the mound and see him in game action? Hopefully it won't take too long for get to, for him to get out there. But again, another you know, sucks to hear that, especially right at the beginning of spring training when he was definitely one of the guys at the top of the list that you were excited to see. Yeah, and to switch from the pitching side of it to the catching side for a quick second, just talking about guys who we're hoping to see and wanting to see that next step from, Jorge Alfaro, he, he impressed me a lot more than I thought and in probably the best way possible when we got to talk to him on Friday. He just – he – took the benching, I guess we can adequately describe it, during the playoffs. He took it to heart last year because, I mean, we saw the struggles from last year. He missed the first – basically the first month after testing positive for COVID and just never got comfortable during the second half of the season when he finally started getting regular playing time to the point where Chad Wallach started all but one of the Marlins' playoff games – and Alfaro expecting to be the catcher of the present and hopefully the Marlins hope the catcher of the future, he was nowhere to be found. And he basically said that it was a wake-up call, essentially, uh, hey, I need to figure out exactly what I'm doing here. I need to figure out what I'm where I'm getting at because his opportunity could be fleeting if he doesn't find a way to turn things around. And he really responded to that throughout this offseason. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he did because, I mean, when you show up to the dance and then you're left on the bench pretty much, I mean, that's a sign. I mean, that's something that this team was building for. And then he's not – and then at that moment, he's not trusted to be that guy. I mean, I would have taken it for sure. I would have taken it like a like a gut check for him. And and it's really it, – it could be a crossroads for his career, like, you're, like you're, you were saying a minute ago. I mean, this is a guy that they invested a lot in to be the future catcher of the franchise and – if he doesn't step up, I mean, it look, it look, I, I was, I agree with you. I was impressed by the way that he took it with maturity and it sounded like he's ready to really be from the beginning. He's had kind of, he, he's always expressed himself like kind of like that leadership. He's always talking about protecting his pitchers and being invested in doing and, and, and really being, being a bodyguard, them, yeah. being the bodyguard. Right. We all, we joke cause he didn't know how to say it the first year, but now he does uh, how to say it. And um, he, you know, that, that just that makeup of his, I think like, but, He's got to show it on the field. He's got to show it mechanically with a swing. He's got to have better plate discipline. You know, the strikeouts have been way too high, you know, for a long time now. And then you want to see him play with that passion, but you want to see him a little bit also under control because they need him to stay on the field. I mean, they can't afford to keep having him come out with injuries left and right. You like the aggressiveness, but we talked about that, how he has to kind of keep that. So all those things, it's a major season for, for 2021 at the catcher spot for the Marlins because Will Banfield, is another one we talked about, but Will Banfield is still far, far away Definitely. from, from making his major league debut. It's not like if Alfaro doesn't work out, Banfield's ready to go right behind. No. So in the long term, that's one of the most important positions to see how it develops during the spring training and into the season. 
Definitely. And before we take our quick break here, I'm going to just let Jorge Alfaro speak for himself. I have, I pulled a couple of sound bites from, from his 15 minute interview zoom room session that he had with us back on Friday, just to let him explain what he did during the off season and just his motivation factor heading into 2021. I mean, the mentality that I, that I had was uh, just uh, trying to get here, ready to uh, compete for a spot, uh, for show the, that I uh, was working on what I need to work on, get better, uh, improve, and just come here and, and show uh, the, that I'm working for that, that, I, that I'm working to get uh to be the, the number one catcher here. And that's what I was thinking uh, last year. Uh, it was hard for me to get, I mean, sitting on the bench uh, at the end of the year. So that's, that was for me for like, like, like a wake up call to just start working on, on what I need to prove. And that was, that was on my mind the whole off season, uh, just to get better. My defense, uh, hitting, everything. Uh, even if I had to sacrifice time with the with the family, or my son, and all that, I know um, to get to be the player that we want to be. Just, just to, you know, we have to make sacrifice, and, and that was that was one of one of the points that I that I was thinking the whole off season. Yeah. Hey, Jorge. Great to see you again. Uh, on that that line, we talked with Donnie this morning, and he said, I have no problem saying Georgie's our guy, that he trusts that you're going to be the number one. How much confidence does that give you, especially considering how the end of last season did unfold for you? It means a lot. It means a lot uh, for me because uh, I was working on that. I was working uh, uh, to, to get better. I was working to... to improve, uh, how I said it before, uh, get better in my, my defense, get better in my hitting, and work hard to get, to get to be the player that I want to be. So that, that, that uh, means a lot to me that Donnie, uh, says things like that because he, he made me, made me feel that, the, the hard work is, is paying off, you know. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right. So we've talked starting pitching. We've talked the catching situation. Let's talk some bullpen here. Right. I mean, yeah. that's basically we have a lot of names to talk about because the Marlins 
basically just completely revamped this thing once again. And then went right up to the day of pitchers and catchers reporting. I mean, they got Dylan Floro a couple days beforehand. They traded for John Curtis from the Tampa Bay Rays the day of. John Curtis told us in a really riveting and open-minded 15-minute interview that he got the text 7.30 a.m. on Wednesday, right before he's about to go to Tampa's uh, air spring training site in Port Charlotte to get his physical done. And he said he got a text from their GM going, hey, give me a call. Don't don't come to the field. His response, well, I, I just got traded. To the point where he gets the call, he gets told he got traded. He packs up his his house, the house that he was staying at, starts making the drive down to Jupiter, and then realizes that he has the Marlins organizational meeting, and he ends up having a stop in the he had to stop at a Dunkin' Donuts, hop on their Wi-Fi so he can sit in the meeting before getting down to Jupiter. But again, you're getting a lot of with guys like John Curtis and guys like Dylan Floro and guys like Adam Simber even Ross Detweiler and the list keeps going on and on the rule five guys that they got. You have a lot of new names, but you have a lot of guys who give you variety in this pen. They give you a lot of different looks, lefty, righty, sidearm, different velos, different, different ways of doing things. And it gives the Martins a lot of options. It looks like this year that they didn't really have last year or last couple of years for that matter. Don't you feel better that since, you know, as a reporter, you're not the only one that has to pull over and grab the, and pirate the Wi-Fi signal at a Starbucks or at a Dunkin' Donuts? Far too many times. Or Remind all me of high school football. Yeah, that's exactly, that was, that was the life in high school when you were covering high school football. But glad to see a Major League Baseball player, might, you know, you're, you're on that same level. You know, every, when, you, when you have an emergency, grab the Wi-Fi. And, and, that's, and that's what happened with him. But yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was it was a good interview with Curtis, and I think that it's going to be interesting to see how the pieces fit together. I'm, I'm like probably everybody else that follows the Marlins. You know, I'm interested to see who lands the closer role. I mean, you know, Anthony Bass uh, has a good, uh, you know, overall I think a good chance. I mean, if you look at his numbers, the last couple of years, you know, has had uh, I think it's 12 combined saves between Seattle and Toronto. You know, I like his strikeout to walk ratio there. The last couple of years, a little less than when it was when he was with the Cubs, but. If he can get those numbers back up, I think he's got a good shot at it. And then, I don't know, I, I kind of like Yimmy in that bridge role, seventh, eighth inning. Maybe he ends up there too. And, you know, and, and Floro, the experience he's going to bring from from the playoffs last year and from, you know, being with the, with, with the champs, I think that's a, that's something interesting that to see how it how it bolsters it together. But, yeah, I mean, completely out the door almost with the, with the bullpen and bringing in, a, 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 it'll probably be almost a whole new nine you know, when they take the field in April. So, and, and, and extremely important because we obviously talk over and over to death about the rotation, but, you know, stabilizing the, the bullpen is going to make the, the key difference as to whether this team can overachieve and exceed expectations that they're being given so far. Yeah. I mean, barring the chance of them potentially carrying like a Nick Knighter, if he doesn't win the job of carrying him as a long, as a long reliever, like they did last year, Yimmy's the only guy from the opening day roster who's going to be back in terms yeah. of the bullpen. I mean, Richard That's Blyer it. and James Hoy came in after the COVID outbreak and really right. impressed during that. Yeah, during they were the replacement. They were part of the replacements. Yeah, and, then, and a yeah. few of the replacements who stuck. So, right. but between that and also just another thing with Dylan Floro, I just get the vibe of what the Marlins did when they got Yimmy. Just one of the guys who you know has the potential to be a late inning, high leverage guy. But mm. when you're on the Dodgers and they're as stacked as they are, you don't really get the, that much of the opportunity. Right. And then you see them come to, space, like the right. Marlins where you get that chance. Mm-hmm. Yimmy lived up to it. Even exactly. though, yes, he was the bridge guy, the eighth inning 
for just about everything, except for I think it was one start where Kinsler was dealing with a nail issue and the Marlins wanted to have Jimmy at the ninth just to be safe in case something did happen with Kinsler. Uh, Jimmy faced more or less the top of the order every time he went up there. And even with that, during the regular season, Gale was just one run. So right. we saw him, even though he wasn't the closer per se, he was in, for the most part, the generally the tougher parts of the lineup each time he got thrown out there. I think so, it, was the best, it was the best reliever they had last year overall, yeah. if, you, if, if you look at it. And that's that's the appealing part. I mean, that's why you can at least consider maybe for the closer job. But, you, you again, it's just interesting how it's going to work out, what, you know, kind of what they see from each guy in camp and kind of what their vision is for, you know, do they feel like he's better as a bridge guy to a guy like Bass at the end? Or do they like him as maybe, the, the you know, having the closer job to shut it down at the, at the very end of the ninth? Can he handle that pressure of, you know, closing in the ninth. Cause that's, you talk to any, any pitcher that's done it. It's a different animal when you get in there and you're the last, you're trying to get those last three outs. Oh, it definitely is. And just the bullpen guys overall, everyone's basically said the same, basically the same response that they think they can be sneaky good. So, I mean, mm. it was a lot of smaller moves that yeah. basically it's getting to the point where the hole is looking like it's going to be greater than the sum of its parts. And that's they're basically what they're to. the bank on, right? <laughs> yeah, they're going to have to. I mean, it, it's very similar. You hope that I, I think I, I said on during our roundtable. You hope they're as smart as the as a team like the Rays. You know, when you're making those shrewd moves, where you know you're making economical shrewd moves to try and get good pieces that are going to each contribute. You know, because obviously you're not going to break the bank like some of the other teams have in the division this off season. So we're going to see. We're going to see if the analytics, you know, really do you know translate into them in, into wins and into quality appearances for all these guys. And, and if all the uh, pieces fit together. Yeah. And now with full squad starting up, we're going to start getting to get some position player info in there. Just Dre, I know we talked about this a little bit on the round table, but who's an under the radar type guy. And I guess it could be a prospect guy or someone who looks like he's fringe for the roster that you're hoping though, that you're going to try to focus on primarily throughout this next five weeks. You're talking in terms of position players. Yeah, position players ideally, and then if you want to throw someone in from the from the pitcher and catcher side, go feel free to do that as well. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I kind of I'm curious to see. I mean, I definitely want to see. I don't know how much he's under the radar, but you know, there's some talk of John Birdie maybe ending ending up somewhere in that second baseman mix, and obviously that's because you know the big battle is going to be between Jazz and Eason. But I'm going to say Eason, too, because I think there's a lot that we need to know in terms of, you know, he missed pretty much the whole season last year. So long term decision has to be made there. We have to find out if he if he can actually handle this. I mean, there's some doubts as to whether he can right now. So I think that's definitely one. I mean, on the pitcher side, I'm curious to see how the rotation shakes out because uh, and I mentioned Nidert earlier. You know, I think this is his chance. I mean, and I saw Christina has him in, in her in her uh, top five right now, kind of like an early spring projection to make the rotation. And I thought that was interesting. I mean, it, you you look at it, he's ha- he's been knocking on the door the last couple of years and something keeps happening, you know, like that keeps him out of it. So is he going to seize that opportunity and finally get in there? But I want to know, too, now that I'm kind of going through the names, I want to see more of Braxton Garrett. Me too. Because so much was made out of him and, and, you know, a first round pick a few years ago. And, you know, he comes up and honestly does not have a good outing at all. His velo is a little bit down, you know, so kind of kind of kind of got overshadowed by the way Rogers pitched. So this has to be a bounce back year for Garrett in terms of really, you know, progressing again and developing and can't, and is he still on track? I think, you know, a lefty guy like him, I think there's a lot of potential, still a lot of upside still there. 
but let's let's see if he can you know continue to develop and, and if he can still be a part of this long-term mix in terms of future starters yeah i mean i'm gonna echo you with second base just seeing how that unfolds is going to tell us a lot about where the marlins are right now because their ultimate plan long term is east on its second jazz at short and then have Lewin diaz and brian anderson on the corners mm. if if we if neither of Jazz or Eson really impressed this spring, that's going to be a red flag. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, as much as we love John Birdie and love seeing what he's able to bring to the table in terms of the speed, the basically yeah, guaranteed leadoff guy. This he, isn't John it, Birdie for the next five or six years. Exactly. Yep. He is more suited for that utility role, that spot star. Right. Have him basically be the role that Miguel Rojas was a few years back where – oh, you need a day off at second base, you need a day off at third, you need a day off at shortstop. Okay, John, go, Birdie, go in there. Fill out, right. fill that spot for the day. But in the same vein, I would not be surprised if we end up potentially early on seeing a platoon situation there between whoever wins between Eason and Jazz and Birdie for righties versus lefties. I, I would not be surprised if they go that route at the very least early to make sure that the guys are slowly starting to, whoever they do between Jazz or Eason, starts to feel comfortable before giving them the role full time. And obviously jazz, we say the red flag, meaning it's, it's even more so as a hitter mm-hmm. because we know jazz, obviously the, probably the long term is he could still move to shortstop and we've seen the glove and the gloves amazing and all of that, but it's mostly at the plate. Correct. And would, would he be, would it, the way, if the way he performs is that alarming where he's not hitting at all and he's not progressing, but you know, reports out of from them and from scouts is that the the upside is there the potential is there for him to keep building off of that but again this is going to be obviously a crucial year to see if it all comes together and if it can be a little more consistent in those areas in terms of the bat to ball skills and 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 cutting down on the strikeouts yeah and then just a couple other guys who I'm playing trying to look at and it's more so on the prospect side just because we lost the season last year we didn't get a real chance to evaluate a lot of their they're guys who aren't here yet, but but by the end of 2021 and hopefully by the start of 2022, that should start turning some heads. Like Jose Devers, for example, we got to see a little bit of him at, or at least I got to see a little bit of him during the playoff run when the taxi squad got, did some live BP. But I want to see where the next step is for him, especially mm-hmm. for him being down the road. And really, I want to see the second he needs group. to stay healthy. Yeah, another guy. Healthy, another guy that needs to stay healthy. Definitely proven. Yeah. Definitely true. And then the second wave of outfielder. I mean, we're going to talk about JJ Bleday and then Monty Harrison and Brinson and seeing where they go, they go in the immediate. But don't forget Burdick Mania. <laughs> that was actually he's part of that wave that I'm talking about between yep. between Burdick, between Cam Meisner, between Gerard Encarnacion, yeah. uh, between Connor Scott, who is started getting lost in the wayside there as they start getting more guys in there. Really yeah. seeing who steps up in that wave and got to throw the Mesa brothers in there too. Cause I mean, we're going to, what is this year three now with them? Yeah. So year three, really... year, yeah. Year three. And, and Victor Victor has been trending downward you know, in some cases, but you know, they like the defensive upside there with him still. And, and junior junior has been trending upward on the, on the contrary, does. I think, you know, especially from the left side of the plate. So yeah, you can't count that out at least in terms of seeing, you know, what kind of roles, but again, those, those are guys real quick of, when you look at Victor Victor, when you look at Monte, they're getting up there in age right now when it comes to yeah. being a prospect. So the clock is ticking and, and you have to start seeing more results. Yeah. And then just on the pitching side, uh, I'm just going to throw, I want to see how Sixto learns, takes what is what he's able to take away from year one and translate into a full year in 2021. I mean, mm-hmm. we saw the flashes. We saw just how electric he can be, but we also saw that 
he needs to learn how to adapt to teams who have faced him before. So if he's able to adjust to that and really start honing in on his preparation in the four days between starts, it's going to be incredible to watch. But if he need, still has that adjustment period, how long is it going to take for him to finally start getting ready on that front? Yeah. And, and a lot of that, like, you know, like the cliche says between the ears. And I think, you know, he's giving me the, the, the impression that, you know, he, he does have that maturity, but I think he has to really prove it to people and show it this year that he can pick that up and he can continue to, to evolve as we, we know he's got the tools physically, but he has to evolve in terms of, can he be that steady, you know, mentally, can he be that steady pitcher both on the mound and on those days in terms of sticking to your routine and doing all the little things that you need to do. All right. And before we wrap up the show today, uh, Dre, I know you specifically want to talk about this guy. So I figured we might as well save him for last. Max Meyer, Marlins 2020 first round pick. We're finally going to get our first in-person look at him this spring. And when he talked, I believe we got him on Thursday. It was either Thursday or it was either, no, it was Saturday that we got him. He was, he was very, he's very mature for his age, I guess would be the quick, the quick synopsis of what I was able to take away from one of our first, one of our few interactions that we've gotten with him so far. And Dre, just want your insights on what you think of him. Yeah. I mean, the, the the interviews are getting a little blurry now after after (laughs) a few days they're blurring together, but that does stand out. That still sticks in my mind. The fact that, you know, the way he answered every question, I mean, you can have some fun, but at the same time, you can tell there's a little bit of that, like, like serious undercurrent where he is ready to go and he is taking every little step of this process, you know, to heart and he wants to really prove himself. And I think, you're going to see that translate in the work he's going to do this spring. I mean, here's a guy that, you know, a little bit more and you're getting a little ahead of ourselves. If we're, if we were saying this season because of the pandemic, but had the pandemic not happened, who knows if we would have been saying maybe later this year that we might've had a chance at least to maybe see max, but I think going in this year is big on that side. And then maybe going into 2022 for him and, you know, the, the tools are there. Uh, again, fastball, you know, velo, very similar to the top guys like Sixto and Edward. But again, that slider, I keep hearing from every scout I've talked to, from everybody in the Marlins organization, pretty filthy. And, if you know, it's just a matter of, again, getting him on the field, getting him into games against other teams, and then seeing how that how that works, and then just building from there. I think, again, it's like, we keep repeating it to death, but it's like you, all for a lot of these guys. What happened with what happened last year is just a matter of finally getting out there, and finally you know pitching and hitting against other teams and and that unpredictability, and then seeing how that plays out. Yeah, definitely. After we got him in the group setting on Saturday, I actually got a chance to talk with Max off to the side for a few minutes. So I'm just gonna let that interview roll, so you guys can hear from Max Meyer himself about what he's been doing, just the whirlwind that was his eight, nine months from between being drafted to now finally get being a couple months away from his pro debut and just what he's hoping to work on as he goes through spring training now, and then finally getting his debut in the minor leagues. Yeah. So I wanted to get to talk a little bit more in depth outside of the group setting. Uh, Just first off, do you sometimes have to take a step back and realize that, holy crap, I'm in spring training right now. I'm, taking that first step closer to that ultimate goal? Um, you know, I never I never really think like that, honestly. Um, it is crazy, though, to think, you know, how much it's changed in one year. Like, I was in college um, before, you know, living with four guys and, um, you know, in big league spring, spring training camp. So it's crazy at times, but I never really think about that. I just 
you know, it's every day is a new day, so I'm just ready to go uh, whenever someone tells me. Yeah, and when spring games do start, what do you feel like that moment's going to be like when you get to step on the mound for your first game as a professional and knowing, again, that those that you're going to get to start checking off some of these milestones in a few days? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how I'll feel. Um, I know that, you know, I'm kind of a guy that just, it's another day, it's another game, so... You know, I'm always I'm always 100% whenever I'm on the mound, so nothing really changes, and I don't let you know big moments get the best of me or anything. So I'm just gonna keep playing, you know, the game I've played my whole life. Do you have your mound music figured out at least? <laughs> I don't know. We're, we're gonna see what happens there. I might get a new song. Yeah, what did you have in college? <laughs> I I did the Stroke by Billy Squire. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, then uh, I know it's early in camp, but. What has been your impression of working with Mel Stoudemire Jr. as a pitching coach? Obviously, he's gotten a lot of positive reviews from the guys who have been here for the last couple of years. What have been your thoughts of working with him, even though it's only been a few days? Yeah, um, it's been just a start, and, you know, these guys have a lot of information. All these coaches, um, they, they're they going to help everyone out, and, you know, they're here for us, so they really care about all our careers, and, you know, I can't wait to talk to him more and ask him, you know, every question that I need because I know he'll be there to help me. Yeah, and you mentioned in the group setting, uh, you're refining your fastball grip, you're trying to work on the changeup. Everybody's been raving about your slider as one of your top pitches and potentially could be one of the best sliders in baseball over time. I'm just curious, how did that pitch develop? And over time, how did you see that pitch evolve? Um, <clears throat> I'm a big like field guy when it comes to pitches and, you know, I've had a couple different grips, um, but right when I went to the spike grip, I think my sophomore year of college, it really started taking off, and um, my velo has always been hard on that, but once I, you know, got in the weight room more, too, you know, that velocity went up to around 90 miles an hour, and you know, I still had that depth and break to it, so um, it's been just feel over time, and I've always, you know, had a good feel to spin the ball, so, you know, it's been my go-to pitch for a while, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you mentioned in Minnesota, obviously, the weather is pretty cold up there. Obviously, you're happy to be down here in the 60s and 70s. Uh, when did you, when were you first able to start throwing off a mound again, or when did you start throwing off a mound to start getting ready for ramping up for spring? Um, I'm not sure of the specific date, but I have this little wood, wood mound that my dad made for me, and we have this little batting cage in our garage, so... Uh, we've been throwing against that thing, and I've probably got, I don't know, six or seven pens in before I came here. But, you know, it's it's definitely harder to find some space to throw in Minnesota when it's, you know, minus 20 out there and you can't get outside on the on the real mounds and throw. Yeah, and then I, I want to backtrack just a little bit just to get your foundation from baseball. When did baseball begin in earnest for you, and when did you start realizing that it was going to be a long-term thing and that you'd be able to – hopefully potentially have this as a long-term career? Um, honestly, I feel like the day I got drafted, uh, that's when I figured out that it could be a, a long time because I never really thought about the draft and all that stuff. You know, I was just playing baseball to have fun. Obviously, obviously I saw some of, like, the reports going out, but, you know, you're young and I'm still young, and it's like, is that really going to happen? But, you know, once I got drafted, then it was um, – I started to to realize that. Yeah, and I know you played hockey. You played football too early on, right? Um, really young. Yeah. 
Yeah, but just that multi-sport athlete being able to play year-round, how much did that keep you fresh and keep you ready for baseball season? I was, I mean, it's always good for all these young kids to play sports growing up. You know, I feel like every every kid should play a couple sports because it, you know, keeps his mind off other things and you meet new friends and from both sports. So, so um, yeah, I mean, it was fun. Yeah, and then in college you had two summers with the Team USA college team. How much did that help you with your development and help you get ready for first your junior year in Minnesota, which obviously was cut short, and then ultimately getting ready for the next level? Yeah, USA was fun, you know, just being surrounded by all these really good players. Um, I met a lot of friends that, and, and a lot of great memories that I'll have on that team. So, you know, you know I, I don't take baseball too seriously, so it's always fun to just go out there, new teams, meet new guys, and uh, have some fun. Yeah, and as a hockey guy from Minnesota, are you keeping up with your new hometown team? <laughs> yeah. uh, I haven't been keeping up with it as much as I'd like, but I'm for sure going to check Panthers out here soon. Yeah. I mean, they're first place in the NHL right now, man. <laughs> All that. Yeah, and then just on away from the baseball field, what's a typical off day like for you? What are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do away from the field? Um, I like to golf and... Uh, I like to fish a lot too, so you know we'll have to. I'll have to ease into it a little bit, so I don't get absolutely fried because I got some pretty fair skin right now. But um, we're gonna. I, I'd love to golf every day and fish if I could. How is your golf game, if I can ask? <laughs> it's 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 pretty solid. You know, I get I get a lot of good bounces that people playing against me. You know, are like, how's this guy so lucky? But uh, you know, I'm pretty good. Shoot about uh, mid 80s. All right, and then just lastly, to go back to baseball, just your ultimate goal for this year, if you could peg one or two things that if I if you do this and this right, it'll be a good first year for you, what would you point to? Um, I'll have to think about some good little goals, but obviously every year, you know, everyone wants to make it to the big leagues and, you know, help, help their team win. So that's always going to be the main goal. And on that note, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Fish – of Fish Bites, thanks so much again again for joining us. Next time we come back, we'll have had a week of full squad workouts. We'll be a few games into the Grapefruit League schedule, and we'll hopefully start having a little bit more clarity about what's going on with this team. Uh, with that, I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, everyone, and we'll, hear, we'll be back with you guys again next week. See you guys.